Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now here's a message from one of the pastors here at The Rock. Amen. Well, if you brought your Bibles, I want to take you to John chapter 6, and we're going to be, uh, begin reading in verse number 1. In fact, we're going to read a short story here, verses 1 through 14, a familiar story. Um, and uh, to be frank about it, I'd like to read the whole chapter a uh, whole chapter, 71 verses, though, and uh, uh, so for time's sake today, but uh, uh, we're going to jump around a little bit in this chapter, and I just want everybody to know that these first 14 verses kind of set up the rest of the chapter, and so uh, this is the story from which all the other verses spring, and, um, and yeah, so let's go ahead and start in chapter 6, beginning with verse Number one, it says this, it says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain there. He sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. It says, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this Jesus said to test Philip, for Jesus himself knew what he, had, he would do. Now, I think it's worth noting here that when Jesus asks a question, he doesn't do so for his own benefit. He does it for hours to help us to get the elevator to go all the way to the top. Amen. And uh, I love the, the message that Pastor Dan just recently spoke on, uh, the questions that God asked. If you didn't hear it, I encourage you to, to hear it. You will be blessed. Verse number seven, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So intellectual, so natural. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. I wonder if anybody could repeat after me tonight and say, as much as they wanted. You can have as much or of as little of God as you want today. Mm. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Just in case you missed it, <laughs> Jesus comes along and says, hey, before I showed up on the scene, there were fragments of things. After I, after I did what God wanted me to do, everybody ate and was filled, and just so you didn't miss it, there are now 12 basketfuls left over. <laughs> Come on, somebody. There is more where that came from. And verse number 14, it says, then those, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet, interesting, who has come into the world. Now, I love the Gospels. I love the Gospels because they bring us the story of Jesus. Uh, specifically tonight, the Gospels, they bring us the narrative of, of what Jesus said, and not just of what Jesus said, but also of what Jesus did. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying tonight to belittle in any way the things that Jesus said. In fact, later on in John chapter 6, Jesus comes along and says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. (laughs) Amen. Later on, we find out in Hebrews that the word of God, it is living and it is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of our heart. My friend, you've got to get a picture of the words of Jesus because it has the power to come into your life and set you right. It has the power to come into your life and set you free. It has the power to come and transform you and cause you to be everything that God's called you to be. And so by no means are we belittling the words of Jesus, but we want to emphasize tonight that Jesus also not only spoke, but he also did things. And just like his words, his actions speak. Ooh, I like that so much. What do Jesus' actions teach us? They teach us that even though we come to church and there's preachers like myself, Pastor Dan, pastors and and teachers and and all these different kinds of things, that what we say from the pulpit is not just a philosophical, theological, intellectual, uh, doctrinal thing. This word of God is meant to be lived out in your life. It's meant to be received. It's meant to be taken in. It's meant to be taken out to transform your life and the lives of the people around you. And so Jesus so beautifully puts on display that I'm not just a teaching Messiah, I'm a saving Messiah too. Come on, somebody. I love what Paul says. He says later on, when I came to you, I didn't come to you in in the wisdom of men's words alone, but I came to you in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. There is a demonstration to be done with the gospel, and one of the best ways you and I can do that, okay, is by living it out in our lives. But back to my point, my point is that I love to see Jesus in action because just like Jesus' words, Jesus' actions speak, And so Jesus comes along and he doesn't just do a miracle and provide, he makes a statement. And if you'll go with me now to verse number two of chapter six, we already read it. But I believe here in verse number two, we start to get a little picture of what Jesus was trying to say. A little hint, a little little tip as to what Jesus was about to say in his action. It says, then a great multitude followed him because they saw, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Notice what it says here. The Bible is being very specific. These people followed Jesus because they saw something. It didn't say that they came to Jesus because they wanted to be healed. It doesn't say that they came to Jesus because they had questions, uh, uh, because, uh, I, I don't know, it says that they came with this purpose to watch what Jesus was doing as it relates to the sick. My friends, what these people were beginning to do was beginning to put Jesus into a box. Oh, this Jesus, oh, oh, Jesus who? Oh, that's the guy who heals people. Jesus had become the desert exhibition. It's very similar to like if you were today to go get a hotel in Vegas and go watch David Copperfield do some magic tricks. Oh, I guess we have some free time today, and so we're going to go out and we're going to check out what this, what this guy does because I saw him do this one time. In fact, I heard him do this one time. I wonder what he's going to do with some sick people today. And Jesus has to show up and say, oh, hold on, just I need, I need to put these people on notice because they're in danger of putting me into a box that I'm just the guy who heals people. 
But that's just one facet of who God is. My friends tonight, Jesus is El Shaddai. I love that so much. That is the Hebrew word for God, El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. Not just the guy that heals. He is the all-sufficient one. In other words, tonight, Jesus wanted to show up to let everybody know there will never be a problem for which I do not have an answer. There will never be a circumstance or a situation that I will not be able to address in your life. There will never be a time where I'll be found to be less than enough, insufficient. I am the all-sufficient one. I've been around since the beginning. In fact, I am the beginning. I am the end. I am Alpha. I am Omega. I am the first. I am the last. I am the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I am Lamb of God. I am God Almighty, and there ain't nothing that I can't do for you. I showed up to preach tonight. Not because I want glory or fame, but because I want the name of Jesus lifted up in the time that we're living in. And just so I stay true to my message tonight, there's more where that came from. You see, he is the pillar of cloud by day, and he's the fire by night. He is the bright and morning star. He is rock of ages. He is rock of your salvation. He is Abraham's reward, and he is Abraham's shield. Come on, he's Moses' judge and lawgiver tonight. He's Israel's redeemer. He's Ruth's deliverance. Today, he's the voice that spoke to Samuel in the night watches. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of the broken down walls of our shattered lives. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness arising with healing in his wings. Oh, that's just the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he's the king after the line of David. Come on, he's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's a compassionate savior. He's the son of God. He's our burden bearer. He's the one who baptizes with the Holy Ghost and with fire. My friend today, he is love. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. And my friend today, he is our soon coming king. Blessed be his holy name. Blessed be his holy name. And the question tonight isn't whether or not God is sufficient. The question tonight is whether or not like these people, we've limited God and confined him to a box. I know, got really shouty real quick, and then we just bring it right back down. But that's all right. Whether or not we've limited God to a box. Friend, tonight I want you to know that he is still greater than your understanding. He's still greater than, than your expectation. He's still the God who can do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so often, you know, we, we, we limit God and we put him in the box of yesteryear. The box of yesterday, and, and like you two said, we get stuck in a moment. We get stuck in the past. And, and, I, and I can be the first one to raise my hand and admit and say, you know what? Like, for example, I love my Bible college years. Those were 17 and a half years ago. Yay, 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 yay! That was a long time ago, but it was, so, it was such a wonderful time in my life, a transformative time in my life. And there was a great man of God that I looked up to. That he died in 2003, 
And it's very easy for me to look back and reminisce and, and, and think, man, the, the, the glory days, they are over. But at some point in time, I have to tell myself, come on, Joey, the man of God died. It's time for you to get your own revelation. It's time for you to have your own revival. It's time for you to see God move in because the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. COVID-19 or not. Trump or Biden or not. Come on. The best is yet to come. God still sits on the throne. And so we limit God and we put him in a box, in the box of yesteryear. Maybe today you've put God in a box because your current circumstance or situation has, you know, has concluded that according to natural law, there's no way of getting around this. But God made the natural law, and God can bend or supersede the natural law to his will. And that's why we play testimonies of that man. I was standing up here when he got the word, and I'm so glad to see that God was faithful, and that man is healed. And that's, that's just a sign to you that what God did for him, he will do for you. And so don't limit God to your understanding, to your circumstance. Some of us have limited God just because we haven't given, given him access to every area of our life. Can I say it this way? You and I have experienced God's faithfulness in the areas of our lives where we've allowed him to be faithful. And then there are other areas of our lives where we have not allowed him to be faithful. Maybe because, maybe because just simply you haven't considered God working in that area of your life. Can I, can I, can I suggest to you the area of your life that you're having a challenge? Have you, have, you, have you considered God? Consider God. Maybe today you haven't invited God into that area of your life because you know what the answer is going to be. So you just rather leave God out of it. But tonight, can I encourage you, let God have his way in your life, whether you like it or not. Initially, because the Bible says after God's done working in your life, it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And you'll be found to say, hey, God's will, I didn't see it at first, but I see it now. It is good, it is acceptable, and it is perfect. Some of us have limited God because, let's just be frank, we haven't been patient enough to let God's faithfulness come to pass in our life. And so what we do is we turn to the works of the flesh. We turn to, you know, manipulation and frustration and anger. We turn to gossip and we turn to selfish ambition and we turn to bitterness and, and we turn to all the works of the flesh. And my friend, anytime you and I turn to the flesh to get results, we push God out and we become limited. We become limited to our own efforts. We become limited to our own energy. And frankly, we put ourselves up to the luck of the draw. But today, let patience have its perfect work. Come on, somebody, and let God, don't limit God with a lack of patience. Don't limit God putting him in the past. Don't limit God by allowing your, your situation, okay, to tell you that it can't be done. All things are possible to him who believes. And so I got ahead of myself. I forgot, I think, to tell you point one, didn't I? Did I forget? Oh, they put it up there. Let me just rehearse it. Point one is this, the multitude's the multitude was about to put God in a box. Don't limit Jesus. Amen. Which brings us to point number two. Are you ready? Know God's ability, but move beyond the supernatural. I'm the superficial, excuse me. <laughs> Feed on Jesus. Let's try that again. Know God's ability, but move beyond the superficial. Feed on Jesus. Now, a moment ago, I told you that I, I wish I could have read you the whole chapter because it all goes together. And what happens after this, this um, miracle of, of uh, five loaves and two fish and feeding the, fi the 5,000 people, okay, 
uh, Jesus goes to a hill to pray, and that night he sends his disciples to the other side of the sea without him. And then he comes along, and he was walking on the sea, and he catches up with them, and they have this uh, this interaction, and, and then the next day comes, okay? And we pick up the story in John chapter 6, verse number 25. John chapter 6, verse number 25, and it says this, And when they found him, speaking of the multitude now, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Skip with me now to verse number 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Get with me now to verse number 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Verse 58, this is the bread. I, I could just imagine Jesus while he says this, pointing at himself. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread, he will live forever. Here we learn that while God is all-sufficient, we must move beyond pursuing him for the things that he can do for us. And we must move into the, the position where we make him our life, our source of life. And really that's what Jesus was trying to communicate in, in the breaking of the loaves and the breaking of the fish and the, and the feeding. And not just that he's God Almighty and he can do everything, but that he is the bread, specifically he is the bread of life. That yes, he can do in your life what, what nobody else can do and, and he can address every area of our lives, but he wants to become the very source of our lives. Don't get me wrong, while Jesus wants to do all these things for us, if we stop there, we, we, we sell God far too short. My friends, I wanted to ask you tonight, isn't, isn't life more than food? Isn't life more than clothing? Isn't life more than a new car, than a new house, than a new spouse? I say that facetiously. Isn't life more than, 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 than success and, and prospering and after all these things, the Bible says the Gentiles seek. And in fact, not just the Gentiles, but Christians and non-Christians alike. And my question is, isn't life more than these superficial things? I've met a lot of people, rich, but ridiculous. Come on. Blessed and broken. Proud, yet pitiful. They got all kind of accolades, and they're still addicted. Socially loved and spiritually dwarfed. People who have indulged in the pleasures of this life, yet are ignorant of its destruction. Life is more than these superficial things that you and I are so caught away to, to pursue. And there comes a point in time in our lives where we stop just running to God every time we have a challenge and we start running to God day by day to gather the life, to draw the life that you and I so desperately need. 
And the scripture says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why? Because that's where life comes from. Oh, and by the way, and then all these other things will be added to you. And when they are, they will keep their proper place in your life. So seek first the kingdom of God. I love what Jesus says in Revelations chapter 3. Revelations chapter 3, you don't have to turn, that we'll just throw it up on the overhead. Revelations 3, 17, 18, and verse number 20. Keep in mind, Jesus is talking to the church here. He's not talking to unsaved people. Jesus is talking to Christians, believers like you and me. And he says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, that you are miserable, poor, blind, and naked. My goodness, Jesus, I thought you were, I thought you were loving Jesus. You telling it like, yeah, Jesus is telling like it is. Jesus is putting us on notice and letting us know, don't get things twisted tonight. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. The implication is that you may be truly rich and white garments that you may be truly clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may truly see. Ooh, we need that in today's day and age. Anointing the eyes with, so that people, so we can really see what's going on out there. Listen, today we're not dealing with a Republican or a Democrat issue. We're not dealing with a black or a white issue. Today we are dealing with the principalities and powers that have set themselves up against the kingdom of God. And my, my, my friend, it's time for the church to rise up and take its place and put those demonic forces on notice. You ain't got no place where we where the, feet, where, the foot of our tr- where the tread of our feet walk. You know what I'm trying to say. Feed on Jesus and let him be more than just your provider. Let him be your life. I remember as a little boy, um, I, 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 sitting at my grandfather's table. Now, my grandfather passed away in 2017, I believe, um, and he was part of the great generation. And I'll tell you what, there's just some principles and some things that those people lived by that, frankly, we've forgotten about today. And I wish some of those old folk would come around and say, hey, listen, this is how it's done. <laughs> but I can remember one of those principles while you sit at the table, um, we as kids always had to ask, okay, if, if, if we could get up. Uh, Grandma, Grandpa, I'm done. Can I get up? There's no, just none of this getting up. And then they would inspect the food. Did you eat that? Well, I don't like that. Well, I don't care. It's good for you. So put it in your mouth. Nowadays, honey, what do you want to eat? Ice cream. Okay, you can have ice cream, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We just let kids, we let kids pick whatever they want, including their gender. God called you to be a parent. Now parent that child and say, God made you a boy, you're going to be a boy. And God made you a girl, and you're going to be a girl. And if you do what God wants you, you're going to be blessed in your life. So don't pay attention to that nonsense. Where do we get the idea you can let an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old decide what kind of sexual orientation they're going to have? My friends, the word of God. I thank God for people who told me like it was, you're going to eat that and you're going to like because it's good for you. Now, every once in a while, they'd have, you know, chicken legs. And we as kids, we love chicken legs. And so uh, we'd eat up those chicken legs and we'd ask for permission to leave the table and Grandpa would expect, he said, what? You ain't leaving the table. There is so much more meat on that bone. And we'd look at it like, ah. he say, give me that. And he, I mean, there was no more grizzle. There was that, that bone felt, he sucked the moisture out of the bone for crying. Now, I'm exaggerating. 
And then he gave it back to us and said, now that's how you eat a chicken leg. The point to say to you is this, that you need to learn to draw from Jesus like your life, like your heart, like, like your spirit depends on it. Draw from Jesus and get all that you can get. Stop running to Jesus just when you have a problem. Make him your life. And I love what he says. He says, don't labor for the food that perishes, but labor for the food which endures to everlasting life. Which brings us to point number three. Carnal people always miss Jesus. Labor to be spiritual. Labor to be spiritual. Again, Jesus said, don't labor for the food which uh, which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. And one of the ways we can do that is by being spiritual. See, in this story, all throughout, all throughout John chapter 6, we see Jesus interacting with the multitudes. We see Jesus interacting with his disciples. Actually, if you could just throw that verse up, it's in Mark, Mark chapter 6. Do you all have that? Mark chapter 6. Okay, if not, I'll just tell you, when, when Jesus told the disciples to go away uh, to cross the sea, and then he came walking on the water to them later on, you know, that night. He gets in the boat, and the Bible says that the disciples marveled, and, they, and it put them in a state of wonder because they did not understand the miracle which Jesus did with the loaves. So we got, the, we got the multitudes mistaking Jesus because, hey, this is the guy who heals, or this is the guy who feeds us. Then we got the disciples overly shocked at what Jesus is doing. I can just imagine Jesus thinking to himself, like, come on, I told you guys, I'm God. And then we have the religious. And the religious people come along and Jesus makes this, you know, crazy statement. In fact, in John 6, we'll just read it, verse number 52 and 53. It says, it says the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now I think that's a, that's a pretty strong statement that would get all of us to kind of like, what did he just say? Okay, but then Jesus comes along and watch what he says in verse number 63. He's talking now as plain as he can, as, as he can talk. It says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Let me paraphrase. I'm not talking about really eating my flesh and drinking my blood. That's gross. I can just imagine people, you said it. That's gross. It, it is the spirit who gives life. The, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So what do we see? The multitude missed it, the disciples missed it, and the religious missed it. I, I think that covers everybody today. We all miss it when we are carnal. The word carnal, let me step back for just a moment. What Jesus was saying in, Mark, in John 6, 63 is, I'm not talking to you from a scientific standpoint. I'm not talking to you from a biological standpoint. I'm not talking to you from a political standpoint, from a philosophical standpoint. I'm not talking to you from a solely intellectual. I'm talking to you from a spiritual standpoint. And in order for you to get what I got and what I want to get, you're going to have to be spiritual. The word carnal, the word carnal, they missed it because they were carnal. The word carnal means to be flesh ruled. It means you are dominated by your human nature and instincts. Frankly, we make ourselves no different than my, than my dog, than my pet. 
he just does whatever comes to his feelers, and he just, he'll, I, I better watch out. <laughs> you know dogs do gross things, because it smells good, because it looks good, because it, <clears throat> all right, you guys need a little bit of help on this one. So, you know, going back to the beginning, I, I was just, I was just do this. Remember, remember Eve? The devil came along and said, is this what God has really said? And the Bible says that Eve, after she had this conversation, the Bible says that when Eve saw, that's another sense. How many senses we got? Okay, I helped you out right there. That's when she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye and desirable to make one wise, she ate. She allowed the enemy to present to her five senses his truth, and it sunk the ship. You know, it's funny, as you come along a little bit later and you see this man by the name of Jacob. Y'all remember Jacob? Jacob and Esau. And Jacob was second born, and he wanted what Esau had. And so their father, Isaac, was getting old and started to become blind. And, and so all of a sudden, while Esau is out doing the hunting, Jacob comes in, he brings the smell of the food, he puts on the wool to touch, he, he, he does everything and he appealed to Isaac's senses and Isaac made the mistake, which of course God turned around and redeemed, of blessing Jacob instead of his firstborn son, Isaac. My, my point is all throughout scripture we find people missing God because they're carnal, because they don't, they, don't, they don't do anything to try and move beyond basic human nature, basic human instincts, basic human understanding. And that's why Paul later on says, hey, you started off well, but I'm concerned for you, lest you have been dece deceived by the serpent, just like Eve was deceived by the serpent. You're letting th this natural life play too big of a role in your life. For time's sake, I want to define spiritual as being this, because there's so much more to it, but for time's sake, this is how we're going to do it. Being spiritual tonight means running everything in life through the filter of what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done. You run every, these people did the opposite. They ran what Jesus did and what Jesus said through the filter of the flesh. They were carnal. But for you and I, we need, to, we need to run everything that happens in life through the filter of what Jesus said and what Jesus has done. And then I'm going to close with this verse, John chapter 6, 67 through 69. We see this man by the name of Peter. If you know anything about Peter, Peter often got it wrong. Peter put his foot in his mouth. Peter he was going to back up Jesus, and one moment he cuts off the, the soldier's ear, and Jesus is like, what are you doing, you know? And then the next moment he's running away from two little girls who challenge him on, I mean, Peter was all over the place. Peter was, Peter presents us with, uh, with hope for us today, and this is what he says. Uh, what did I say? Uh, let's see, John chapter 6, verses 67 through 69. It says, Then Jesus said to the twelve, because you understand that the other people had gone away, even some of Jesus' disciples. It says, Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away? Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did Peter just do? He just summarized the entire chapter, and it brings us hope. And what is that hope? That, hey, wherever you're at today in life, you can get it too, and you can do it too. So come on, labor, okay, labor for the food which endures to eternal life. And the way we do that, one of the ways we do that is by being spiritual because carnal people, more often than not, will miss Jesus Christ. Today, if you got something good from God's word, you can give the Lord Jesus a great big praise. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.